If you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Please be seated. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, teach us. Instruct us guide us, transform us, sanctify us. In your truth this morning we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we've been studying forgiveness for the past few weeks. Um, that which is most characteristic of divine grace and if you notice, the three words that, that close out our text, Jesus' words um, to this woman, they are, go in peace. Go in peace. Literally, go into peace. Go into God's shalom and dwell there forever. I mean, that, that is the essence of the gospel message, peace with God. The characteristic of divine grace. 
And that is what we all, who, who have come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, do every week when we, we come into and under um, God's appointed means of grace, that is the, the preaching of his word, and then leave in benediction. Reminded every week that we go in peace. We have peace with God. Although we, we, res- we wrestle with issues, both inward and outward, we have peace with God. Through the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have entered into that peace, we live in that peace, and every week after we gather, we go out reminded of that peace. Go in peace. Now, the visible expression of that peace um, is is retold for us every month as we come to the Lord's table together, as we will this morning. We have peace with God. So coming to know Jesus personally, being drawn to him, being made aware of one's own sin condition, and experiencing his grace, his love, and his mercy, we know there is great hope, there is great healing, and there is unsurpassed peace. I hope you understand that. I hope you experience that in in your Christian life based on the objective truth of Scripture. And I hope that's driven home for you um, today. Now, these words, go in peace to this woman, um, are attached to a real-life occurrence. Um, It's one setting with many scenes. And if you're all at all familiar with with the gospel accounts of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, you're well aware that our Lord um, has a very unique way, a very interesting habit of taking what most people presume they know and then turning it inside out and upside down in order to drive home truth. Amen? And that's exactly what he does here in this encounter. I mean, this, this is a profound encounter. It's full of weighty theological truths, but what I want us to see this morning as we work our way through it, it, it this encounter, and, and that is what Jesus is like towards us as believers. What kind of Savior we have in him, and I want us to see the radiant character of God in sending him to us and for us with regard to the forgiveness of sins. Okay? That's what we're after this morning. So, here then, on one particular day, Jesus was invited by a Pharisee to a dinner party at his house. Simon, the Pharisee, Jesus accepted. Now, we don't know if Jesus was the guest of honor or if this was some kind of plot or setup in another attempt to try and trap Jesus. We're not told. We don't know. 
point is, he was invited and he accepted the invitation. Now, before we move on, I want to make clear that, that this story is not to be confused with the account we studied in Mark chapter 14, which is also recorded in Matthew 26 and John chapter 12. When a woman comes in and pours ointment over the head of our Lord Jesus, and that turns out to be Mary, the sister of Martha. That account occurred in a home of a man named Simon, who was a leper. That occurred in the south, in Judah, in Bethany in particular. This account happens in the north, in Galilee, in the home of a man named Simon, who was a Pharisee. The name Simon was very, very common um, in this day, just like John is a very common name in our day. Um, you have Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot, Simon the Cyrene, Simon the Tanner, Simon the Leper, and here, Simon the Pharisee. Separate account. I've heard guys preach this, and they resort to going back to Matthew to Mark 14. It's a different account. They overlap. So here then, verse 36, he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now remember, this is not the type of table we have in our day where we sit upright in chairs. This type of table was a horseshoe-shaped table, low to the ground, 18 inches or so um, above the ground. There would be pillows or little couches around the outside of the table, and your guests would lean on their left elbow, and they would take food with their right, and their feet would be extended out and away from the table, and then the servants would serve the guests from inside the horseshoe-shaped table. So here's Jesus. He takes his place at a table like that. And then during this dinner party, a woman bursts into the room. They all, that is the guests, recognize the woman. She's notorious. She's uninvited. Verse 37, and behold. Okay, now, the, the words and behold um, indicates something shocking, something startling is taking place. Notice, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So here, this woman um, enters this room. Now, think about this home. Typically now, um, this being a Pharisee's home um, would, would have, it would be a larger home, typically. There would be an entry gate um, from the main road. And that would lead into a courtyard, a, a kind of um, garden miranda. And then windows would be opened up. They'd be lifted up. And you'd peer inside and there'd be a banquet room. This is where the dinner would have taken place. And then around the perimeter, inside the room and outside peering in would be many guests from the surrounding neighborhood. They weren't invited but it was very common in this day when there was a special meal to just show up and peer in and kind of eavesdrop. It was very common. This is what's going on. You got people standing around. You have invited guests inside, and you have those who are just listening in. And all of a sudden, this woman bursts into the scene. 
So here you have Simon, the Pharisee, he's the host. Jesus, he's an invited guest. And this woman, an uninvited, really, intruder. Now, she's referred to, notice, as, as a woman of the city who was a sinner. I can identify with that. Sinner. I'm glad it's there. I'm a sinner. Now, notice she's not referred to as the daughter of so-and-so, not even the cousin of so-and-so. You know, it's like saying, you know, hey, hey, I I showed up in the Bible, and I'm referred to as a woman of the city, a sinner. Here she is. Scripture defines her as a sinner. The host, Simon, calls her a sinner, and, and Jesus affirms she is a sinner. So the consensus is she was a sinner, a woman of the city. Now, we're we're not told what her great sin is, but remember the Pharisees um, had a a sinner's file, and it included tax collectors and drunkards and tanners, those who dealt with, with unclean animals. They had a catalog of categories of unacceptable, outcast sinners. Now, when it came to women, sinner was a synonym for prostitute. A professional adulteress, immoral, impure, filthy, living a a brazenly sinful life in the public eye, a woman from the city. We we might say that she's a woman of the streets. Now, remember, the Pharisees had created in their own mind um, salvation by way of segregation. Keeping themselves from notorious sinners so as not to become defiled by way of those sinners. They would separate themselves so that their holiness would not be tarnished by people like this. Now, one of their complaints about Jesus is that he was what? A friend of sinners. I think it's important to note verses 33 to 36, if you back up. Notice Jesus said this, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, true wisdom is vindicated by what it produces. The followers of John the Baptist and the followers of Jesus, they they end up saturated and surrounded by truth. Now, this account demonstrates for us that that Jesus is the friend even even of of sinning Pharisees, okay? Because the worst of sinners in the room is the Pharisee who thinks he's not a sinner. That's the worst sin there is. To think that you're good enough to, to stand in the presence of God 
and your own merit, that's the sin of all sins. You know, it's the, the I'm a good person sinner. I know a lot of these people. I have, actually have a joke with my wife. She rolls her eyes at me, but, you know, I'll go do something. She'll go, well, what would you do? And I said this and that. I says, you know why I did it? Because I'm a good person. <laughs> because I hear constantly from certain people, well, I'm a good person. I go, compared to who? Who are you comparing yourself to? And that opens the door for the gospel. The standard's perfection. So here's Jesus, friend of sinners. This is an evangelistic outreach to this Pharisee. And Jesus uses this woman as the example. It's beautiful. Jesus, friend of sinners. So it's probably right to say that this woman was a prostitute. It's even more accurate to say that she had been a prostitute. So her interest was not the dinner party, but the fact that Jesus was in there at the dinner party. She was drawn to this place because of the presence of Jesus. So the, the lavish extravagant expression of love shown to Jesus by this woman informs us this is not the first time that she met Jesus. J.C. Ryle suggests that she was probably present when he said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. She heard him and she believed him. Somewhere in the course of his ministry. Maybe she was there when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Maybe she heard him say, if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Maybe she heard him say, if the Son of Man be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. Could have been. Perhaps she got wind of his visit to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, a divorcee, had been married five times, and the woman, that, or the man she was living with now, she was shacking up with. Perhaps she heard about it. Somewhere along the line, she heard him preach about salvation, and she believed it, and his call had an effectual impact. Beautiful. So, think about this, in addition to what she heard him say, he probably looked at her like no one else, honoring the dignity of her as a woman. Dignity as a human being made in the image of God, communicating to her, just by the way he looked at her, her value as a woman without encouraging her to continue in her immoral ways. So not being invited did not matter. She couldn't have cared less what people thought about her, knowing Jesus was in the room. And she barges in. Something drove her to go inside, and she wasn't going to go in empty-handed. She comes in with an alabaster flask of ointment, very expensive, We've covered that in the past. Could, could have been her most valued possession. 
She knows he's there. She gets wind of it. She hears he's in there, probably went home, grabbed this, and barged in. And what happens next flips everything that Simon and his cronies believed on its head. Verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. So I'm standing over his feet, is another indication she knew who he was. She went right to him. She's over his feet. Feet are extended out from the table. She's weeping. Literally, she's raining tears. Just, just utterly sobbing. So as she's sobbing, her, 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 her tears drop on his dusty feet. We know that was the custom of the day to wash your guest's feet. No one washed his feet, so they're dusty. It's causing splotches on his feet, and she didn't intend for her tears to fall on his feet like this, but they did. So, perhaps embarrassed by it, having no towel, she instinctively lets down her hair and begins to wipe the Lord's feet, and that was a big cultural no-no. Women only let their hair down for their husbands. There's nothing salacious here. There's, there's nothing scandalous about it. It's just grateful affection on display. Uninhibited devotion to Jesus. A sexually scarred, broken woman showing pure, extravagant love for Christ. That's what this is. And then, notice, she, she, she began to kiss him. Not on the cheek, not on the forehead, not on the top of the head. She totally humiliates herself, verse 38, and kisses his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, this word kissing, it's an intense word. It's katafileo. It means to kiss and keep on kissing and kissing and kissing. It's the same word used in Luke 15. When the prodigal son returns, the father runs out to him, weeps on his shoulder, and he kisses and kisses and hugs and kisses, and he just doesn't stop. That's the idea, same word. She kisses God's son amidst those who despise him. Reminds me of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers together take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. You know what that is? That's a declaration of independence from God. And what's God do in response to men down here who, who, who want to fight against and raise their fists and fist God and throw off his fetters, his restraints? God, what does he do? He laughs. Ha, ha, ha. Little rebels. And then the psalmist goes on to say, kiss the son. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath the wrath of the son is quickly kindled. However, the same son 
Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Here she is. Here she is. Taking refuge in the sun. A scorned outcast in the eyes of the community. Next, the host. Simon. Now, it's interesting what he says about her because he's speaking within himself. Can you imagine just thinking within yourself, you're walking with Jesus, and he goes, uh, hey, John, um, come here. And then he refers to something you were just thinking about. John 2, we're told that Jesus knows what is within man. Now, first, notice that Simon, this Pharisee, questions the legitimacy of Jesus as a prophet in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. That's the first thing he does. Now, notice back in um, verses, yeah, verses 16 and 17, after Jesus raised the widow's son, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Verse 17, And this report about this great prophet, Jesus, began to spread throughout the whole land. Now, perhaps that is why he invited Jesus, this great prophet. So now, this woman barges in, and he's thinking to himself, If he were a prophet, he would know. Second, If he were, he wouldn't let her dare touch him. He'd have nothing to do with her if he were a prophet. Simon was totally ignorant of who Jesus was. Totally ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oblivious to truth. He knew nothing of God's saving grace and saving power. Was he religious? Yeah. Outwardly clean living kind of guy? Yes. But he had no idea who God was. None. So his proud, his proud heart is repulsed by the sight of this woman in his house, and he's even more repulsed by the fact that Jesus accepts her lavish, extravagant affection. And he's just thinking it in his head. I would have been paranoid walking around with Jesus. (laughs) Notice Jesus' words now to the host, knowing what's in man's heart, incarnate God, he, he just didn't let some things pass, knowing what's in man's heart. So uh, with everyone now uncomfortable within this house, within this scene, um, after many gasps, I'm sure, it's probably dead silent now. And in verse 40, Simon, come here, I want to holler at you. I got something to say. Uh, Say it, teacher. And he speaks this parable. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, uh, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
And we'll get back to that. So here you have two years' wages and two months' wages. Just to make it simple, we'll call it $10 versus $10,000. And friends, this is a trick question. This is a trick question because if all you owe is $10 and you don't have it, you can't pay it. And your $10, therefore, is equivalent to the $10,000 of the guy who doesn't have it and yet owes it. You get it? So the trick question is this. There are no gradations of sin and the debt that is owed to God. You owe ten or ten thousand, you're in debt, you can't pay, and you're doomed. Jesus said, you have judged rightly. So here, Jesus uses a, a quantitative illustration to drive home a qualitative point. Simon, you're seeing something you shouldn't see, and what you should see, you don't see. You're a debtor. Just as she is a debtor. So now notice, looking at the woman, but still speaking to Simon. Verse 44, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with, the tear, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, yeah, she's a sinner, they're forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little, little. In other words, he says, look, you didn't even provide me the common courtesy of washing my feet when I entered into your house. That's like you come into my house and I don't take your coat. I don't offer you a drink of water. This is a very common practice to offer a wash basin for your guests because you walked around the dusty roads, dirty dusty roads of Jerusalem and northern Galilee and you picked up dirt and they're dusty so you, you go in and you wash your feet. He didn't provide it. You didn't even give me a, uh, the custom of our day, and that is a kiss, a greeting. Nothing. You did nothing. So whatever your agenda is for inviting me, you showed me no respect. This woman has not ceased to kiss my feet from the time she entered this room. It's a beautiful picture. It's an indictment on one hand. So therefore, notice which means a, a, a rational conclusion is coming. Her sins, which are many, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. Okay, that's past, by the way. Past, perfect tense. Something happened in the past with a continuing effect. They have been forgiven. She's already forgiven. Some other day, some other place, some other time, and here, already forgiven, she comes to show me this extravagant love in response to having been forgiven. That's what this is. 
her salvation, friends, was evident. Her salvation, the salvation of this sinner, this woman of the city, was evident not by something she said. Notice, she doesn't ask any questions. She's the only one in the account who doesn't speak. She doesn't say the sinner's prayer. What's being displayed is this. The most bittersweet thing in the world. The most bittersweet thing in the world. True repentance. True repentance. Bittersweet. She knows her sin. She knows God's grace. Can't know God's grace until you know your sin. Knowing her transgressions and knowing his forgiveness. Bittersweet. Knowing what she deserved and knowing what God gave. Bittersweet. It's repentance. Friends, when the light of the Holy Spirit illumines our minds, illumines our hearts, we see that we are the greatest of sinners. Amen? The greatest of sinners. Bittersweet repentance. We're the greatest of sinners in desperate need of even a greater Savior. Here he is. The only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lesson here. It's this. The idea that someone can be truly forgiven and continue in unabated, unconvicted, unrepentant sin is contrary not only to this account, but the entire New Testament. That's one lesson. Because repentance is the fruit of forgiveness. It's the fruit of the work of the Spirit in your life. He goes to work. He transforms your heart. We repent. Repentance, forgiveness, two sides of the same coin. Paul Paul said this in Acts 11, verse 21. We read this. Those who believed turned to the Lord, with the word turned there in Acts being synonymous with they repented. They turned, they they repented. In Acts 20 and verse 21, Paul summarizes his ministry in, in terms of testifying both to Jews and of Greeks, testifying of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So true belief always leads to repentance and is regularly associated with the forgiveness of sins. She's repentant. It's on display. Beautiful. Now, it's very important that we understand Jesus is not saying here in this account that on the basis of her love, she was forgiven. Okay? He is not saying... On the basis of her love, she's forgiven. Our love for Jesus is not the cause of his forgiveness. I tried to spell that out earlier in our service. That is not the cause of his forgiveness. He does not look at this woman and say, Wow, because of your extravagant love for me, your devotion to me, as a reward for that, I forgive you. That is not what we see here. Do we understand this? This is very important. I've heard it taught like that. It is not that. 
Forgiveness is not a prize for our love and devotion. Our love and devotion is a response to his abounding grace, his loving kindness and forgiveness. Verse 42, notice, he did not, notice, he did not say which of them had loved him more. He said which of them will love him more. Get it? So the cancellation of the debt precedes the gratitude of love. Her sins have been forgiven. And here she is at my feet, pouring out tears of gratitude, her debt canceled. So, so this love, again, is the fruit of having your debt canceled through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then worship is the effect of having your sins forgiven. So everybody in this gathering here at this dinner on this day came to have supper at a prominent citizen's house, this Pharisee. She came to thank and to honor and glorify him with extravagant praise and thanksgiving because her sins had been forgiven. See it? Question, why are you here this morning? I mean, you know, she went to church. She went to church to worship. Do you come to church because you feel duty-bound? Well, man, I haven't been there for four weeks, so if I miss another week, they're going to call me. <laughs> you know, or is it this? Man, I've been forgiven much. And in response, I love much. That's what we see here. Verse 47, he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, Jesus is not saying there that the Pharisees need just a little bit of forgiveness. No, he's speaking ironically to their own skewed perspective of things. It's kind of like when Jesus said, um, those who are well have no need of a physician, right? I, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, what he means by what he says, I didn't come to, to call those who think they're righteous. I came to call those who are sinners who know they're sinners. Amen. So the irony of the story here is, is that Simon, the religious elite, standing in judgment of this woman of the city, this sinner, he's the one with the real spiritual problem, not the woman. He's the one in trouble. He has a debt that remains unpaid. Hers, paid in full. You got to love it. You love it? Oh, I love it. She has no debt. Forgiven. Done. It's gone. And then he goes on and, and he assures her of what has already taken place as she pours out her love. Now what, he, what does he do? He announces it publicly. Notice, your sins are forgiven. Wow. That means the real sinner in the room is the Pharisee. And Jesus is lovingly ministering to him. 
in this very, at this very moment, in this room, on this day, in hopes of showing him his need, desperate need. See, Simon thinks he needs little help, if any. Therefore, he has little love, if any, for Jesus, the remedy. The remedy for the debt that is owed. See, no one comes to Christ thinking, I need just a little help, right? You know, no one comes to Christ thinking, you know, I'm pretty good, I I just need to be a little better. I just need my shoes shined. They're a little scuffed up. Yeah, I know there's people better than me, so I just need, you know, I'll take Jesus on to help me along. No. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who come morally bankrupt, reaching out in shame, eyes covered, reaching out like a beggar. That's the picture. Theirs is the kingdom. Here she is. Paul, a former Pharisee. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was chief or am chief, I am present, of whom I am foremost. When you come to understand your sin and God's, God's holiness and his grace, you think of yourself as the greatest of sinners. And the more you are sanctified in the truth, there's the tension between I, I know I'm forgiven of all my sins, but at the same time I know I'm the greatest of all sinners. Such is the Christian life. Notice, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? That's the question. Jesus pointed to this saved woman to to, to help Simon see himself as he truly is. Now, had he seen her, if he would have looked at her as he ought to have, this lovingly thankful recipient of grace, he would have seen his own need. And he'd have been next next to her on the floor. Doesn't see it. So the woman and Simon, they're both sinners. They're both in debt. The woman, according to God's grace, recognized she couldn't pay. She's drawn to grace. She's drawn to Christ. Simon, incredibly religious, very orthodox, viewed himself as superior to that woman. Ho, 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 ho. It's like some wooden Christians that, that, that I knew growing up. They would have the, the raised eyebrows and the puckered lips. Hmm. Some shady character comes walking in, new creature in Christ. Well, hey, hey, man, that's your brother in Christ. Well, that, praise God. Lesson. Genuine Christian love does not always come from those who appear to be most religious. The eyebrow, the raised brows, puckered lip people. Who they sit with their hands like this all the time. Folded. There's nothing wrong with folding your hands like that. It's the attitude behind it. 
So here you have a religious leader, highly educated, sophisticated, big home. He opens it up to people. He's highly thought of in the community. He has no love and no faith relationship with Jesus. He does have a relationship with Jesus, though. Everybody does. Did you know that? So don't just say, you need a relationship with Jesus. Everyone has a relationship with Jesus. Two categories. Condemnation, no condemnation. John 3.18. And today in the Super Bowl, we'll see John 3.16 up in the crowd. And I'm always hoping that someone will hold up John 3.18. (laughs) Those who do not believe in the Son of God are already condemned. Those who believe, not condemned. You can come out of the category of condemnation if you are. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. So if you see this woman, you look at this woman, because Jesus said, do you see this woman? Let me ask you, do you see this woman? And perhaps you look at this woman, and there's a perfect, there's a sense of conviction that rises up in your heart, but you look at Jesus with indifference. Maybe you're one of those. You look at Jesus with indifference, or maybe you view Jesus as a nuisance. Man, I've been, I was dragged here today. And when I hear about this love and loving Jesus like this, let me tell you this, friends, the ability to love God, the ability to love the Lord Jesus does not come from the law. The power to love God does not come from the command, love God. The law of God that says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't come from the command. It's impossible. The law can't save. The power and the ability to love comes in the context of forgiveness according to the gospel of grace. That's what we see on display. It's right here. It's not a matter of trying harder. I need to leave here today when he does the benediction peace thing, and I need to walk out and just go try harder to love Jesus. It's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. Once you realize your need, your failure, and your impotence to do anything about it, you cast yourselves upon Christ. He enables you. He empowers you. The resident presence of the Spirit empowers you. Because trying harder, you know where it drives you? Inward. You don't go inward. You want to go crossword and Christward. That's where you get the strength and ability to love God. Amen? You don't need to try harder. I need to pull up my britches. Now you look to Christ. So here Jesus cancels this woman's debt and when he does, everyone in the room is scandalized. They're absolutely appalled. Now if you think the woman was shocking... The woman of the city walking into this room, Jesus' words to the woman are even more shocking. Notice, they're horrified when he says, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. You see that? They all start talking about themselves. Who is this that even forgives sins? How can he forgive sins? Who who does he think he is? Um, God, as a matter of fact, because That is precisely the point in the parable. The one to whom the debt is owed is God. That's the picture. 
They owe the debt to God. They can't pay it. And here at the dinner table, the one who forgives the woman is the incarnate son of God. God in human flesh. So if you want your debt canceled, there's nowhere nowhere else to go. If your debt hasn't been canceled, you're not aware of it yet, there's one place to go. It's the feet of Jesus Christ. Faith and trust in him alone. And you'll come to realize your debt has been paid in full. And you'll repent. That'll be the fruit of understanding that will be repentance. Turning from from rebellion and, and to the Lord. Beautiful. Notice, verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice, has saved you, past tense. Your faith. Not faith and faith. You're forgiven, and you'll continue to be forgiven, not because of something she said, not because of your affection shown to me that day, not because of your extravagant act of love, not because of this alabaster flask of ointment, not because of that stuff, none of that. It's because of the substance of your faith, Jesus, the one who paid the debt. Wonderful. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. So no one may boast. No boasters allowed. Lesson. This narrative shatters any notion that someone can be too sinful to be saved. I've heard people say, oh, you don't know my past. Oh, well, you don't know mine. You want to compare notes? I'm beyond recovery. I'm hopelessly lost. I've told you about friends of mine I witnessed to at the gym. I invite them here. Oh, you don't want me there. Man, the, the ceiling will cave in. <laughs> I said, but I'm the, you know, and then you point back to yourself when you evangelize. I'm the greatest sinner, and it hasn't caved in yet because I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. God covers me in his son. That's what you need. You say to your friend. You cannot be too sinful to be saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, but you can be too righteous to be saved. That's the point. You can be too righteous to be saved. That is thinking you're righteous, thinking you're good enough, thinking you only need a little help, thinking I don't need to be redeemed. I don't need blood atonement. I pay my own debts. You're a fool. There's two kinds of people in this world as we wrap up and prepare to partake of this visible truth or this truth made visible. You notice how much I stammer all the time? Hardly a polished speaker. Thank you for bearing with me. That you're here is amazing. Two kinds of people in this world. Those who have repented of their sins and those who remain obstinate and stubbornly opposed to God. Two types of people in this world. Those who praise, honor, and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and those who refuse to praise, honor, and worship Jesus Christ. There's no group in the middle. Well, I'm just indifferent. I'm undecided. To be undecided is to be decided against him. Amen? 
Whoever is not with me, Jesus said, is, is against me. And Doobie Brothers philosophy also is not accepted. Well, hey, man, Jesus is just all right with me. Right? That, remember that song? Jesus is just all right. No, forget that. <laughs> he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this woman knows what Simon thinks. This woman knows what the community thinks. This woman knows what she has done. And in here, no matter what they think or what they say, God's forgiveness of you, woman, is unchanging. She didn't give a flip about what anyone thought when she barged into the room. Amen? And now, how can, when she leaves here, how is it, once she leaves the euphoria of the moment and all the emotion of the moment and goes back to real life and times are hard and you got to make a living and the temptation comes in order to put food on the table, I know how to make my money. And guys come a-knocking. What would have kept her from resorting back to her ways, tempted perhaps with large sums of money. Well, the same is true for her as is for us. And is by the ministering presence of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he has indeed paid her debt in full and in response with a thankful heart to the grace, love, and mercy of God, I walk and continue on by faith. I can go in peace. Because I have peace with God. That's how you do it. That's how she did it. See, as his people, we must come to him over and over and over again. To the same fount of blessing that we drank from when we were first saved. That's what she'll do. We go back to the same fount of blessing, and it's called grace that grants us peace with God. Amen? The same fount of blessing. So let me close with this. Colossians 2. Verse 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside Boom, nailing it to the cross. Friends, that, that is extravagant love. This woman's display of extravagant love is in response to that extravagant love. We love him because he first loved us. And that's what we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Amen? Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for this narrative, this beautiful account of a sinner 
with whom we can completely identify, coming to the feet of your son, our Lord Jesus, after hearing the glorious gospel of grace, let us be reminded that it is that fount of blessing that we return to day in and day out, morning, noon, and night. Help your people to do that. Help me to do that. And may we be reminded of that vividly here as we partake of his supper. Amen.